And uh, so it is a, with great joy and pleasure and an honor to, uh, to invite him to the stage this morning to bring us the word. Would you give a warm Eastern Ontario welcome to Jeff Price as he comes. Well, good morning. So excited to be here. It feels good coming home to Eastern Ontario. It's been a while since I've been back, and it is an honor. Thank you, Jared. You are doing a phenomenal job of just uh, leading this district, and it's an honor to be able to come and speak with all of you and be here. I love this generation, and I love having the opportunity to pour into uh, leaders from all over the place. And so thank you for getting up early on a Saturday morning and coming and listening to me and listening to me and part of what the church is doing here. And so I really am honored that you're here. Now, one of my most favorite memories of ministry was when I was uh, helping out a junior high group in uh, Oshawa at a church that was called Community Church. And at this church, we had uh, a bunch of phenomenal junior high leaders. The junior high group was growing. It was explosive. And we had all these leaders. And how many here are, work with junior highs? Anyone here work with junior highs? How many know that junior highs smell really funky, right? So we were like sitting around racking our brains going, man, what can we do to help these kids just succeed in life? How can we help them learn some important things like, hey, a shower matters, okay? Like you, you just can't go two weeks without showering. Or, or this beautiful thing that was created by God and scientists called deodorant. You should wear it a lot, right? So we're wrestling. So we came up with this idea of creating a superhero in our junior high ministry called Captain Puberty. It was awesome. Awesome. Captain Puberty was amazing. So what Captain Puberty, his, his outfit of choice, his superhero power was to teach kids. And his outfit, he had, he had tights. He had underwear on the outside of his tights. He had a shirt that was way too small for him. And he had a cape. And, and he would come out and at all of our services or he'd be on video and come out. And, and he would talk to the junior high kids about how important it is, you know, to, to be smart and to wear deodorant and all that stuff. And so this guy, this Captain Puberty, he was like this scrawny little tiny kid that, you know, could bury him. Like, if, if wind came, it would blow him over, and so he was just perfect. But this kid has grown up now to be a youth pastor here in this district, probably one of the strongest guys in the district. Matt Schmidt, where are you? Where are you? Come here, Matt. Come here. I got to bring Captain Puberty back up here today. Come on, Matt. I, I got to be careful because this guy, he can beat me up like really badly. So I got to be careful. But, but do you remember, actually, I talked to your wife and your wife told me that you still have the cape at home. Come on, man. See, that's, that's, he's saving it for his kid. So his kid one day can aspire to great heights. So Matt's a youth pastor here in, in Eastern Ontario at my home church at Woodville, right? right? Any Woodville people here? Oh, I got to talk to you about stories about this guy. It's, I have so many. It's, it's just awesome. So Matt's a phenomenal pastor, right? And so what I want to talk today about is, is this concept of being a volunteer. Pastor Jeremy asked me to, to speak about multiplying and, and what it takes to multiply. And as I was praying and wrestling through what it takes to multiply, to see your church or your youth ministry or your junior high or kids ministry explode, the concept of volunteers came to mind, that we need killer volunteers in order to make it. And so I wanted to illustrate something to you. So Matt here, like, dude, you're massive, right? What are you deadlifting now? Like 700 and something? Yeah. 400. Okay. So what's, what, what can you curl? What is a, what's a good? Yeah. 120 ones or like multiple, like sets? Okay, perfect. Here, Matt, grab this. Grab this bar. See that? Let's go. Okay, so you said 120 is what you can curl. <laughs> you see how that works with weightlifters, right? Yeah, I'm big and strong until I get put on the spot. Okay, all right, all right. That's fair. That's fair. All right, uh, we're going to have to do this carefully. Okay, so I've got, yeah, we're going to show off, Matt. I, well, you're huge, man. This is like what you live for, isn't it? Like this moment to show off. I don't know how you're going to do this, but we've got to put this on and then hold it so we can get the other one on. Okay, so this is 50. You got it? Oh, boy. Okay, perfect. Oh. Well, no, we're going to. He wants to show off too, eh? Look at that. Okay, so Matt, there, there's like 100 and I don't know how much that barbell weighs. It's not like a real one, like 110. We're going to go with 110 pounds. Okay, Matt, show, I know you're married, but show off, show off the guns. All Just right. look, look at that form. Oh okay, keep going, keep going. <laughs> look. Okay, don't fart, though. It would be really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
That's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, while I'm just talking, just keep working out. It's good. All right. But here, here's what I want to get across. You must not be uh, at Planet Fitness. They don't allow that stuff. Um, <laughs> okay, so here, here's what I want to get across. Matt is a phenomenal, like he's in great shape. He works out. He can bend, curl, whatever that is, 120 pounds. He's also a phenomenal youth pastor. And what happens a lot of times with great leaders or great youth pastors or, or great kids pastors is this. We kind of go to church, hey, Matt, you're super strong. You've got great skills. You've got great ability. We just want you to take it and run with it, right? Just, just go with it. We expect you as the pastor or the kids pastor or the kids worker just to kind of use all your strength and all your skill sets. We want you to use that and just make ministry happen. And here's what the reality is. Matt can move a crazy amount of weight. He can actually do some phenomenal things on himself, by himself. He can move 120 pounds. He can run a youth ministry and do some awesome things. And he's killing it in Woodville. He can do some great things. But here's the reality. He gets tired, right? He was able to move that I mean, only like three or four times. Kind of princess if you ask me. But nonetheless. <laughs> right? But he can, he can move it. But watch what happens. I need, I need two, two guys, two girls, two people, individuals to come up. To come join me. Quick, 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 quick. Two people. You don't have to be big. Just come. It's all right. Everyone's like, okay, come on. There we go. One. All right. Two. All right. You guys jump up here. Jump up here. Girls, get ready. Come on. You two. Here's what I want to show you. Okay, now, guys, grab that in. One, grab that in. One, grab that in. Now, Matt, get in the middle. Watch what's going to be able to happen. Okay, ready, Matt? Now curl this. Right? So now. It's all me, right? It's, it's all me. But here's what I want you to see. What was once really tiring, don't you feel like a, he's like, yeah, get, get my photo now, but just crop them out. Um, what was once really tiring, now has become super simple, right? So his capacity to be able to carry a load grew once we actually multiplied some more leaders. When we put some more people around him, all of a sudden he was like, hey, you know what? I can do what I was already doing, but I can do it even better. But here's the reality. No one wants to just sit at this mat. This is nothing now. So we're going to add to this weight, okay? Come on. Here we go. Here we go. Put this on. i got to move your, yeah, there you go. 100. It's going Stop worrying. It's fine. All right. We, yeah, real men don't wear gloves at workout, dude. That's like, it doesn't count if you wore a glove. All right. All right. So now we got 150 pounds. Go ahead. Let's start curling that, guys. All right. So now, here's what, what once was impossible for him to do by himself, he's now able to do with help. But now I need some girls. Where's some godly, strong women of Jesus here? Come on. Where are you? Come on up, come on, just quickly. I'm not calling anybody up by name. I don't know anybody. Okay, come on, get up here. Come on, get up here. Come on. No, you're good. You're good. Come on. She's like, I want to work out. I didn't get to the, my, my hotel didn't have a gym this morning. Well, I had a treadmill, but that doesn't count. All right, all right come on, get it. Girls, get it right in. Get it. Get right in. Come on, get in. Help. There you go. I thought we had three girls. What happened? Okay, so now, now start lifting. Right? Now all of a sudden, again, what was heavy? I'm a little scared. All right. Oh, are you okay? Jesus, heal it in the name of Jesus. There we go. You're fine. Suck it up, princess. Um, all right. All right. I need like two more, two, two or three more volunteers. Come on, quickly, quickly, quickly. Come on. Come on, come on. Come on. We need help. Come on. All right. You can stand in front maybe. Maybe get a few people in front because it's going to get a little weird. Come on. There we go. There we go. Okay. But hold on, hold on. Just before we do that, let's just add some weight. All right, we're going to go here, yeah, slide her in. Yeah. We'll slide. Whoa. So we're getting up to like over 200 pounds. Have you ever curled that yet? Never. No, whatever. I do every, every Monday. Uh, what do we got? Yeah, this is pretty cool. Okay, watch your hands, okay, sweetheart? Here we go. There we go. We're going to put the next one on. You got it. Hey, next one. There we go. Yeah, so, okay, we're over 200 pounds. Go ahead, guys, lift it up. Come on, give them a big, huge round of applause. This is the time to get a picture. Look at that. Look at that. Just beautiful. All right. All right. Okay, put it down. Don't drop it. I don't want to replace the... Okay, everyone but Matt gets to leave. High fives. Way to go. You guys, look at that. You can tell your mom that you lifted 200 pounds today. You're a hero. All right, Matt, try and do it. It's like a deadlift. 
I think that's not right form. It's okay. <laughs> Give it up for Matt. He's awesome. Here's what I wanted you to see this morning. It's simply this reality. Matt, as a leader, he's able to do a lot of really cool stuff. He is super talented. He's super skilled. You should hear him rap and break dance. He's awesome, okay? Like, the guy's got skills that are amazing. But in and of himself, he's only going to be able to take a ministry so far. In and of himself, he's only going to be able to do something so far. But once we start to put some volunteers who are good volunteers, some great leaders that can come underneath him and work with him, all of a sudden his capacity more than doubles and his ability to be a leader and to impact heavier people, take on more weight, grows. We saw him grow from 100 to 120 to over 200 pounds. And you saw that with 200 pounds and some volunteers around him, he was lifting it and not even breaking a sweat. But once those volunteers left, he couldn't even lift it into a curl at all. And so what I want us to catch this morning is what does it take for us to come alongside our leader, uh, our kids leader, our youth leader, our junior high leader, our junior high pastor, uh, or our lead pastor? What does it take to come alongside them? What does it mean to be a good volunteer? here. How do we do this? And so I wanted to hit a couple of key things that I've learned through my life of what it takes to be a killer volunteer. The first thing I've learned is this, is to be a killer volunteer, we need to have a passion for God. We've got to have a passion for God. Because what I've learned is that a passion for God will take me further than I ever could have gone on my own. In fact, the passion for God will allow me to stay in a stale, dry environment where it feels like nobody cares what I'm doing, where it feels like no one loves me, where it feels like no one pays attention to me, where it feels like every kid that shows up on my youth night hates my guts. A passion for God will keep me moving forward, going, God, you're somehow in this. Your, your hand is somehow upon this because I love you, I love my people, and it's unstoppable. I want to tell you a story about when I was a youth pastor here in East Ontario District. I was pastoring a place called Keswick, and we had this small little community, this small little church. And when I came in to be the youth pastor of this church, uh, they had this youth ministry of about 11 kids. And it was 11 kids who were the angriest, meanest kids in the entire world. Okay, this is when, like, goth was just breaking out, and, like, the whole youth group had, like, white makeup with black lipsticks and all the dog chains and all that stuff around them. I'm like, oh, this is awesome, right? And, and one night, this, this family was new to our church, and this, this uh, teenage girl came to our youth ministry, and she showed up. I'm like, yes, there was fresh blood. Anyone been there as a youth pastor or a youth leader? Like, a new person. This is like the, I've been praying for this for six months. This is awesome. I'm like, so excited. Like, swarm her. I'm like, you're the best person in the world. She's like, oh my gosh, stay away, creep. Like, it's like awkward, right? Like, I'm so excited. And this is what happens. My lovely, awesome youth ministry, they came alongside her and they said this. If you come back here again, we're going to beat you up because this is our group. I'm like, okay, so great commission. Not doing too well. Uh, not great. So what I did is my wife and I surrounded her and became friends with this, this girl. And we just prayed and loved Jesus. And amen, it was a hard go. But this girl fell in love with Jesus. And she had a passion for God that was unquenchable. So much so that when she was going into grade 9, she comes to me and she says, uh, Jeff, I want to start a prayer meeting and a prayer thing in my school. I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. You're so cool. You're a grade nine student going in, want to start this ministry. Here's what we'll do. We'll go, we'll meet with the principal, and we'll find some science room that's at the back of the school and hold that prayer meeting in some awkward time so that way you don't get embarrassed because that's what we do with these things, right? You're like, okay, we're going to do it really, you know, awkward spot. And you go and pray. She says, no, 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 that's not what I want to do. I want to pray in my cafeteria at lunch. I'm like, oh, Sweetheart, you're in grade nine. You're not understanding how this whole pecking order thing works. Like, this will affect the next four years. Good, good pastor, right? This will affect the next four years of your life. Like, you're going to get beat up. All right? It's inevitable. And she's like, but I love Jesus. And I know he wants to move in my school. Now, this school was only, it was a small high school. It was a brand new first year of the school. So it only had about 200 students in it in total. And so the first day of school comes, and, and this girl walks in. To her, to her school, and, and she goes through all the awkward grade nine things that happen in the morning, and, and then she gets to lunchtime, and she gets at lunch, and she stands up in her cafeteria, and she gets right up on top of the stairs and goes, hey, 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 can I get your attention? My name is Vicki. I'm in love with Jesus. I want to have a prayer meeting here uh, every day. If you need prayer, come and see me, and, and you're welcome to join me. She sits down at her table, and she starts to pray. Guess what happened? 
some cool grade 12 poured milk on her head. It was like right out of like, you know, a teen movie, right? This is like after school special, right? Like, and so she calls me up and she's like, oh, Pastor Jeff, you won't believe what happened. I'm like, actually, I can't. I knew this was going to take place. I'm like, okay, so do you want me to call the principal and work out a classroom? She's like, no. I know God wants to move. See, she had this passion for Jesus that he was going to do something amazing. And so the next day she comes and she does the same thing and people are starting to think she's really weird, right? She's like, okay, don't talk to her. She's not getting a date to prom. Like, it's over, right? Like, like her entire life is over from this point on, from grade nine, right? And so she, but she keeps doing it. One day she's doing it. She stands and says, hey, my name is Vicki. I'm in love with Jesus and we're going to have a prayer meeting here. If you need prayer, I'd love to pray for you. If you want Jesus, come let me know. Come sit with me. And of course, no one sits like within five tables of her. She sits down. And this guy, Nick, comes out. He's like, hey, What's this whole Jesus thing? He's kind of kind of making fun of her, right? Like he's like it kind of trying to pick on her and, and, and be the cool guy in school, right, and everything else. So he's picking on her, making fun of her. And she goes, well, here, let me pray for you. He's like, okay. And she holds his hands and she just prays, dear Jesus, you love this guy so much. Would you touch him? And he literally freaks out. He's like, what'd you do? She's like, I don't know. I just prayed and Jesus touched you. And he had this sense of God. So she calls me after school. She's like, what is going on? This guy, Nick, wants to meet with you. We bring Nick. Nick finds Jesus, gives his heart to the Lord. The next day at school, Vicky and Nick stand up and say, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm Vicky. I'm Nick. Here's what happens. Our school all of a sudden falls, it's mind-blowing, falls in love with Jesus. Here's what takes place. Over 70 kids, 80 kids in, our, in that school started coming to our youth ministry. Now remember, there's only 200 kids in the whole school. The principal calls me and says, hey, I need to meet with you. And if you know my story, when a principal calls me, that usually puts fear and intimidation into me. I'm like, I'm going to get suspended. I don't even go to this school. I'm too old to go to school. I'm graduated. Why am I scared? <laughs> right? And so I go meet with the principal, and he's like, um, I don't know what's going on, but our school is completely transformed. We, our, drug salute, our drug problem is down. Uh, our attitude in the school. Kids who we never thought would care are actually staying and doing homework. He says, what are you doing to these kids? I'm like, uh, drugging them? No. Uh, t- <laughs> tell them about Jesus. And he's like, really? He says, um, I've got a list of kids who are still problems. Can I call their parents and tell them to send their kids to your church? I'm like, um, do you know Jesus? No, but I want you at it. I'm like, Okay, cool, right? No problem. It got to the point where he called and says, look, you're welcome. I'm going to give you an office at the school. You can have an office in our school. I want you to walk through our hallways. You can pull kids out of class. It's so awesome. One of the funniest things is, is he's like, we're going to have a school dance. I'm like, okay. He says, I want you and your volunteers to come be chaperones. I'm like, oh, dude, this is going to get awesome. This is going to get awesome. So think about it. Like these kids show up, they you know, kind of you know, be cool and get their moves on. They walk into the school dance, and there's their youth pastor standing there. Hey! Guys, we're meeting for a Bible study over here. Girls, our Bible study is going on over there. Welcome to church. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. We totally ruined the school dance. It was like, oh, that wasn't fun. I'm like, yeah, that's good. All right. Anyways, what I'm getting at, oh, also another kind of cool side story to this is Vicky and Nick are now married. It's kind of cool. Oh, it's always the girls who do that. Guys are like, I don't get it. That's, yeah. <laughs> so if you're passionate for Jesus, he'll give you a husband. No. Um, But what hit me out of this was, was Vicky's desire to love Jesus. As a volunteer, she was so consumed with the idea, idea that Christ was centered to her on everything she had. And with that passion for God, she was willing to go further than what most of us would have been willing to go. Because most of us maybe would have had the guts to stand up the first day of school and do that. Maybe, possibly. But to do it a second day and a third day and a fourth day, not a chance. I'm bowing out of that as quick as we can. But her passion for God, her tenacity that God loves her and God loves her school was so powerful that no matter what opposition came in front of her, she kept putting one foot in front of the other because she believed that God is going to do something. And friends, if we could have a passion for God like that, if you and I as leaders could have a passion for God like that, that in whatever ministry you're serving in kids, youth, junior highs, whatever it is, that you could go, man, I know that I know that God is real. I know that I know that God is going to move. I know that I know that God is, is actively involved. And I'm going to preach and I'm going to reach out and I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast and I'm going to believe and I'm going to passionately pursue God with everything I have because I know that that is the secret sauce that changes it all. Because Matt can lift a lot of weight by himself. 
But man, if he had some passionate followers of Jesus standing around him, it becomes unstoppable. This movement that Christ started with just 12 disciples and he lost one because he you know, kind of you know, did some stuff. But, but the rest of the 11 turned the entire world upside down. Come on, anyone here have a youth ministry of 11 and feel so depressed? Jesus turned the whole world upside down with just 11. Turned it upside down. Man, if we could start to believe like that, if we can start to be passionate pursuing God and chasing after him on our walk, where we're all of a sudden the Bible becomes not something we just read in order to make it through our discipleship class because pastor's going to ask us, did you read your Bible? We have to lie and say yes. Right? Lying about Bible. Anyways, that's fine. But, right, right. but we actually can let it come alive inside of us. We go, Oh my goodness, this actually has application to me today in 2017 as a high school student or as a young adult. This actually has value of speaking into who I am and how to... You can imagine what would happen if we started to worship God like we passionately believed he could show up. Yeah, it's me and my junior high group and there's 10 smelly kids who don't wear deodorant. But we're going to lift those arms anyways and believe God can heal us because he's real. He's real. He's real. I was on staff at a church that was like crazy. You ever been to those crazy churches like where like worship, you're like, I don't know what's going to happen in worship today. It's just crazy. Like it's like insane. Like we would be worshiping and I'd like have my hands up, my eyes closed. I'm worshiping and then I open my eyes and there's people doing cartwheels across the front of our stage. I'm like, <laughs> what is going on here? One time I'm worshiping, I look open my eyes and the worship leader's not on stage. I'm like, where is he? And all of a sudden he's up in the balcony dancing. I'm like, that is a crazy picture. Anyways, I'm like up on the balcony, like what? Crazy church. Like it was crazy. And people were jumping and dancing. And this was like in early 90s where it sounds like enemy's camp was still strong. You know, like the whole place was bouncing and like the foundations were shaking. Right? It was crazy. And, and, and I, I brought a friend to church. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what my friend's going to think. We are a bunch of weirdos. You know, we dance, we shout, we do all this stuff. We do cartwheels for Jesus. I didn't know that was a thing. Right? But we're doing it. And I bring him. And, and, and this was his response. Man, your church is passionate. Man, you guys must really believe what you say you believe in order to act like that. And I thought, man, passion is attractional. When people passionately pursue God, something happens to those that are visitors. They're blown away with it because they're not used to seeing it outside of, you know, an Ottawa Senators game where the real winners are, or Toronto Maple Leafs where, you know, whatever. I won't talk about them. You know, but, but they're not used to seeing passion. They don't see it because today we're so consumed with being cool. Right? We're so consumed with, with just not standing out. And all of a sudden passion stirs. And they're blown away. We have a church that is super, super engaged in our community. Super engaged. In fact, we, we do so much in our church to make sure that the people who are far from God come into our environment and, and, and aren't freaked out. It's a safe environment for you to be involved in. But one thing we're constantly teaching our people is it's okay to be passionate. So although we do things with excellence and we, we have all kinds of fun and creative pieces and, and everything else, we still let God move in our church. And I love that you walk into our church and you see hundreds of people with their hands raised, passionately pursuing God, because it stirs something inside those who are not used to it. So you want to be a killer volunteer that makes a difference in your youth ministry, in your kids' ministry, in your junior high ministry? Then be a passionate volunteer who's willing to go, man, my love for God drives me to do some of the craziest things, but it's okay because Jesus and me, we're going all the way, baby. We got it. We're going to do it. And let that passion when your worship, your youth fan, which sounds nothing like these awesome guys up here, because let's be honest, <laughs> yeah, I wish we could just take them with us everywhere we go, right? But our worship bands are like really fun. Um, if you're on the worship team, we love you because you're passionate, but that's great. But, right, but, but. We're going to go and we're going to worship God and not wait for all the cool lights that we have here. and all. We're going to worship God with everything we have because we know that if God shows up, it changes everything. It changes everything. The second thing that makes an unbelievable volunteer is teachability. Being a teachable person. Now, I know that as, you know, you as young adults, you're like, oh, man, we got it all figured out, or, or, or you're real. But I'll tell you, even as a 40-year-old man, this is something that I still have to wrestle with. Because there's an element sometimes where it comes like, man, I've been doing this long enough, I've been plugged into this long enough, that I kind of know all the ins and outs, right? So, so I coach football. My two, my two boys, I've got a family of four. Well, I've got a wife and then four kids. So I guess there's six of us in total. I, I've never did well at math. Um, 
But I've got, so I've got two older boys. One's 13, one's 11. And then I got my beautiful seven-year-old daughter sitting right there. Haley, can you just give me a wave? Love you, babe. All right. And then I've got a baby surprise, real surprise. Like, this baby came, uh, and I'm like, huh, I had a vasectomy like seven years ago. How does this happen? Jesus, Jesus heals. Um, we're going to have a long discussion when I get to heaven. I'm like, hey, I love it, but uh, I now understand what Mary says. How can this be, right? Like, um, it's going to be a great Christmas service. It's going to be awesome, right? So I've got this brand new little baby in my house. But nonetheless, I've, so my two boys and my oldest, I've got 13. I'm going to drop my, th- my oldest boy off at university and my youngest daughter off at kindergarten. Those of you who are parents are going, oh, I feel for him. Please pray. I need it. Um, but my two boys play football. They're like hardcore into football. Uh, one of them's the quarterback. Like they're just, they're big into football. And so I played football. And so maybe my kids are into football because of the fact that I'm a little bit passionate about football. On Saturdays, we watch college all day. On Sundays, we watch NFL. My wife doesn't see me for the weekends. It's kind of awkward. But, you know, it's football is life, right? And so our kids were hung into football. And so uh, I said, okay, well, if you guys are going to play football and be this intense in football, I'm going to coach football. And you know what? I played football for years. I've been involved in football. I watched football, and I knew how to play football. I knew how to play football, and I knew how to tackle because I was loving. When I played, I was playing in as, as a lineup, middle linebacker, or I was playing as safety, which basically those two roles is only this, hit people hard. That's your only goal. They're like, no, we don't care if you can run. We don't care if you can throw a ball. All we need you to do is just like, have no brains and just hit people hard. Right? And when I played football, it was like how you hit somebody was you would come running at them, you would dive head first, you would wrap them up, you'd spear them in the stomach and pull them down. That was the goal. And then this whole thing about concussions became an issue, right? Like, oh, we've like lost people and like it's not a good thing to like knock kids out very often. I'm like, we used to brag about that, but that passion drives everything. Um, and so when I started coaching football, they teach us that like, they had to teach me how to do a tackle. I'm like, dude. I'm like, at that point, 35 years old, I know how to hit somebody. Like, I'm not dumb. Like, no, 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 you got to break down, you got to do this. And it took me forever to go, okay. But now to watch how those tackles are working, how they tackle now is one, safer, it's better. And it actually works a lot better because we used to miss tackles as we dive head first and the guy just kind of goes like that. And he's gone, right? Whereas now it's a whole new system. The reality is, is learning new things when you think you know all the answers is really, really hard. But I'll tell you, to be a killer volunteer, you have to be willing to learn all the time. In fact, one of the greatest ways you're going to grow as a leader and as a follower of Jesus Christ is not going to come by sitting under phenomenal preaching. It really isn't. It's not going to come by sitting in great worship services. It's not even going to come from moments like this weekend where you're going to get inundated with a gazillion and a half leadership principles and your brain's going to explode. By 5.30 tonight, you're like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just shaking from knowledge. Right? Like, it, it, those are great. But you know where the greatest points of growth in your walk are going to be? Hanging out with your youth pastor or your youth leader or your senior pastor and having a relationship that's close enough where they can say, hey, you know what? There's some stuff going on in your life, and, and we got to work on that. And man, I don't know about you, but I hate those conversations. We used to call them, Chris is here, we used to call them come to Jesus meetings, right? I had to pull in some students and have to say, okay, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. This is a meeting where I love you enough that I'm going to leverage my relationship with you. And we're going to have a heart-to-heart conversation about some stuff that's going on in your life. Trust me, can I tell you something? As, as a pastor... No leader wants to do that. I'm just going to, you know, leaders don't wake up there and go, oh, how can I make my kids hate me even more? What can I do just to make them super upset? I'm going to tell them, you know, that they shouldn't do this anymore. Like, like, no leader wakes up and goes, I can't wait to just ruin a kid's life. Yes. If they do, they, they're, well, man, we'll talk. Talk to Pastor Jeremy. Um, but something happens when there's out of relationship and we've been able to have fun and have the, the crazy youth events and drink shakes through our noses and break things and do all the stuff that we do in youth ministry that's insane in kids' ministry. But something comes when all of a sudden you can sit down and say, hey, you and I were pretty tight. But I've been watching this take place in your life. And I want to leverage my friendship with you. I want to encourage you this morning or encourage you to, to, to maybe that you need to stop this with your girlfriend or, 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 or watch your attitudes here. And all of a sudden how you respond to that makes the world of a difference. Makes a world of a difference. 
Because how you respond to that changes you from being able to go, okay, you know what, I'm just stuck in my pattern and forget you, I know what I'm doing because I'm cool. Or it turns to go, no, I'm going to be molded and shaped into the kingdom of Jesus. Right? Where I all of a sudden go, you know what, I'm going to listen to what my pastor or what my youth leader or what my kids leader is saying because their goal for me isn't to make me a robot. It's not to make me some slave for them. Their goal is that I would rise up and be the man or woman that Christ created me to be. Can I tell you, that's the, the hardest part of what I do. So I preach every single Sunday morning. We've got this church that's exploding and growing, and it's a lot of fun. And, and we do, like, really stupid stuff in our church. Like, I, I'm amazed every time we do stuff where I'm like, we have lip sync battles in our church, like, with adults. I'm like, how do you get away with this on Sunday morning with adult church? But we, we just have fun. We just do crazy stuff. But nothing's more valuable than when I sit down with some of the people in our church after I've built a long relationship and say, hey, man. I had one person in our church, and, and we went over to his house to hang out, a bunch of us, and we're hanging out, and he's like, oh, yeah, let's watch a movie, and we put on this movie, and it was like one of those like, movies where like, mom and dad wouldn't let you watch it kind of movies, you know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting there as the pastor, and I've got all of these people in my church there, and this guy who's a leader of our church is showing this movie, I'm like, oh my gosh, what do you do, what do you do? Okay, old school, I would have stood up, shut it off, cut the power to the house, and then had a repair, repenting meeting, and set something on fire, but what do I do, Right? But can I tell you how powerful it was when after that event, I just pulled him aside and we sat and had a coffee and we were chatting. I said, man, you know what? I'm really concerned. You watch this movie and, and it has all these kind of different scenes in it. And you felt comfortable with that. And what scares me is if you're comfortable with that with me in the room, what are you comfortable with? Others? And we just had this heart-to-heart conversation and through that revealed there were some other issues. And God totally had the opportunity to do this massive healing into this guy's life. And only empowered him to be an even better leader and make a larger difference in our community. And it's been awesome to watch him grow. But what would have been so sad if he would have been turned and said, dude, forget that, man. I'm a 35-year-old man. Who are you to tell me what I can and can't watch? Right? I understand what I can. He could have, and he had every right to respond that way. But because he was teachable, because he was allowing the Holy Spirit to mold his life, and he didn't put up an attitude. He allowed a conversation of authenticity and love to embrace the moment. And he heard what God was saying through me. And he allowed that stuff to be stripped out of his life only to walk in greater power and greater authority in ministry. So I want to encourage you. Would you allow yourself to be teachable? A great volunteer is a volunteer who's teachable, who is willing to go, you know what, pastor, or know what, leader, I'm here to serve. I'm passionate for Jesus. He controls my life, and I want nothing more than to be the man or woman God created me to be, and I'm willing to sit through the come-to-Jesus meetings. I'm willing to sit through the hard conversations because I understand your heart is that I would walk deeper with you. And the last one of this is work ethic. A great volunteer has a great work ethic. I love working out. I, I, I've, uh, from that picture, I've lost over 70 pounds in the last year. It's been a phenomenal journey that I've been on. Uh, I, can, I can curl 200 pounds, no problem. <laughs> Just joking. But one of the things I love about working out is it's exhausting. And when you're working out, one of the things you do with working out is you work out to the point of failure. You literally will work a muscle and, and you'll do your curls and you will go until you can't curl anymore. And then you have some friend who comes and puts two fingers on it, and then they help you get it up the last little bit. And there's a lesson there that I've learned about the idea that, man, great leaders will work until the point of failure. Who will realize that, man, what I'm doing, I'm running a youth ministry, I'm running a kids ministry, I'm running a junior high ministry. And I'm not just building my own resume or getting my volunteer hours so I can get through high school. I'm not just, just doing this to pat myself on the back. What I'm doing is I'm changing the kingdom. I'm changing my city. I'm transforming my city for the kingdom of God. And they realize, man, I'm willing to give so much. I, I'm very busy. My staff is very busy. We work really hard. We work crazy hours because we're just seeing God do awesome things. And so I've got four kids, and, and constantly I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to overextend. I don't want to be crazy. I want my kids to know that Dad loves them first and everything else. But I sit with my kids all the time when, when I'm going away and speaking at stuff or doing things and I'm missing things. I sit with them. I talk about, hey, listen, I'm doing this because of the fact that we love Jesus. And we want to do everything we can where we can leave it on the field. I tell my boys, boys, you know what, football, you know how you give everything you have? We just had our championship game, and uh, my kid, my, my oldest son, it was in the championship for, for Ontario, and it was super exciting. And they went out, and they got destroyed. Destroyed. Like, it was sad when you're watching 13-year-old boys just bawling and crying after a game. because like gave. But what I love is, man, 
you gave everything. I said, dude, did you, did you try your hardest on the field? He's like, yeah, dad, I did everything, man. I, I ran hard. I did this. I said, is there anywhere where you think you could have given more? He's like, no, honestly. And, and he was exhausted. Like, he literally went to bed that day at like 4 o'clock. It was awesome. Like, let's do football every day. This is great. Can our, can our baby do football? But anyways, right? Like, we were like so pumped. This is so awesome, right? Because he gave everything he had. He left it on the field. Do you know what, what I was reading an amazing article about Super Bowl champions? And you know that you would think after the Super Bowl, after you win the Super Bowl, uh, you would think there'd be tons of partying going on in the room, in the change room. And this is what reporters, that's not the case. Super Bowl champions generally aren't super pumped after the Super Bowl. You know why? Because they're physically exhausted. Because they fought so hard to win the Super Bowl. Because they gave every ounce of, uh, of energy they had to put it into winning the game. And I thought it was a really, really cool idea that one of the coaches said, look, if my team is celebrating, it means they should have played harder. They could have played harder. I thought, man, I want to realize that as cool as that is to win a trophy and a couple million dollars, um, God, I want to do that for you. I want to give you my all. I want to leave it on the field. I want to, at the end of a youth night or a junior high night or a kids night, to go, go man, there's nothing I could have done better. Yeah, I could grow, I could learn new things, I could be teachable. But God, with the resources I had, I gave it everything I possibly could. I gave it everything I could. Because here's the difference between me and a football player is that lives are hanging in the balance of what I'm doing. Lives are hanging in the balance. And so for us, when, when I used to be a youth pastor at this church in, in, uh, in Brampton, and we had this crazy youth ministry, it took us four hours a night to set up our youth room. Four hours. It was insane. We'd come in and we'd take and we'd put all these lights and the stuff. It was, it was just crazy stuff. But four hours and we did it all in the back of volunteers who came in and made it happen. We had just to run our youth ministry. Needed, we had a leadership team of 95 students in leadership just to run youth on a, on a Wednesday night because we just put everything we had into that event. On a Sunday morning, I bet you your church, there is tons of people that it takes to make your church run. In a church like this, there's, there's literally hundreds of people it takes to make it happen because we know that if we put our work in it, if we put work ethic to it, if we do the best that we possibly can, then we can see God do something. I don't want to be one of those leaders that just kind of shows us, well, you know what, I didn't prepare, I didn't put anything together, but I trust in the Holy Spirit, and He'll just anoint me, and He'll just do it. How many of you, don't put your hand up, sat any leaders like that, and you're like, this is the most boring, this horrible teaching I've ever sat in. Don't say now. Right? But rather, I put energy and work into it. We teach our volunteers at our place that, look, Jesus, or God, actually says that the quality of the offering you bring matters. Cain and Abel, remember that story? One died. Why? Because the offering he brought wasn't done with excellence. Think about that for a second. One cost, the other one did just the leftovers and he brought it and wasn't done with excellence. God is very particular in Malachi about bringing your best to the table. And here's the reality. Christ has changed my entire life. He's radically transformed who I am. He deserves everything. The only reason I am who I am is because of Jesus Christ. So I don't want to bring him my leftovers. I want to give him my best. And I bring my excellence to the table as an offering to the Lord. Say, God, now with this, with my best, will you take this and will you bless it and give me my city? Will you bless me and give me my city? So this plays out in coming in early and setting up chairs. This plays out in, in staying up. I love my staff and my team that I work with because they're crazy. And they're emailing me at like 1 o'clock in the morning, which I go to bed at like 9.30 because I'm old. But they're emailing me at 1 o'clock in the morning like, hey, I just came up with this entire idea of how we're going to revamp the entire auditorium and this is what we're going to do. And they draw, I'm like, dude, that's amazing that you're so committed to this that you're letting God speak to you when you're not being paid. Something so valuable by people when they're going, man, this, I'm bringing my best to the Lord. So I'm setting up chairs. I'm thinking about it. I'm calling the youth pastor, the youth leader, going, hey, we're doing this event, and here's what I'd like to do. Or when the youth pastor says, hey, I need you to do this for me, you're not like, oh, man, you always ask me. Yes, because you're awesome. He's stretching you, and he's growing you to become the best person you can possibly be, to have the most impact inside your youth. She's stretching you. And so to be a great volunteer, we're to have a passion for God, a great teachability, and an awesome work ethic. I wanted to read one story for you that, that I think is probably one of my most favorite stories when it comes to talking to leaders. And, and it's found in, in 1 Samuel 14, 5 and 7. And it's talking about this guy named Jonathan. 
Okay, and Jonathan had this thing called an armor bearer. An armor bearer was this guy who was assigned to, to Jonathan to help Jonathan in battle. That was his goal. His goal as the armor bearer was to go, I'm here with you, Jonathan. I am here as a leader, as a volunteer in your life. He probably got paid, but I'm here as a volunteer, and I'm going to serve you. And when you go into battle, I'm going to be here to help you. These are guys who were, strateg who, who were strategists. They knew how to fight. They had been proven time and time again that they were victorious. They were there to give their leader strategy. They were there to protect the leader. They were there to, to guard the leader. They were there to do these things. So I love this story that we find in 1 Samuel 14, uh, 6 and 7. It says this, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outposts of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or a few. Uh, then do all you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. So here's what's happening. There's this war that's taking place, right? And these, these Philistines are, are, are looking like they're, they're, they're numerous in number. They're crazy in number. And there's this war that's taking place, and Jonathan's with all of his men, and he sits at night with his armor bearer, who would have been in the same tent as him. He says, man, I've got this crazy idea. God can win this war with one, or he can win this war with lots. Either way, it's God's war to win, not ours. He says, I've got this idea. Why don't we go into the Philistines' camp? Just, just, just you and I. Why don't we go into the Philistines' camp and just see if God's given us the army? And what the Philistines, what the, what the armor bearer says is, all right, I'm with you heart and soul. Whatever you have in mind, let's do it. Can you think of the craziness of this concept? Okay, wait, wait, wait. I'm a strategist in the army. Like, I know how to fight. I know how war is supposed to be done. I know what's supposed to take place. What we should do is we should go talk to the king. We should lay out a really good strategy. We should get everybody together. We should then march on them and do, and, and, and here's what we should do. But here's not what he says. He says, yeah, you know what? Good odds are we're going to die. Like you and I are going to go, and they had to climb this rock face. We're going to go and climb this rock face together with one sword between us, because I'm to carry your sword, so I'll carry your sword up for you. One sword between us, and we're going to go take out an army? This is, this is ludicrous. This is crazy. But if you want to do it, you heard from God, I'm with you. I'm in this. Let's do this. Now, man, I'll tell you, give me a couple people like that, and we could turn a city upside down. We can turn a city upside down. Because can I let you know a secret? As, as leaders, as pastors, we stand before you at churches on Sundays and we go, God has said we're going to do this. And we're going to go because we've had this revelation from God. We've had this experience with God. He says, okay, we're going to march or we're going to do this. And then you know what happens? We walk off the stage and we talk to our wives like, I have no idea if God's going to show up. I'm so scared. This was the craziest thing in the world. What was I thinking? I'm an idiot. Right? We, we sat at our church, and, and it was coming up to Easter, and we're like, man, we want to impact our community. We want to reach our community, and our building's too small to reach our community. So I kind of said to my board one day, I said, you know what, guys, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like us to rent the hockey arena in town, and I'd like us to hold Easter church in the hockey arena, and then I want to do an egg hunt after church. And it's going to cost us like $35,000. This is when we had zero money. We were already running a deficit of $50,000 for the year. I'm like, it's going to cost us $35,000 if we don't have but I think God's calling us to do this. And my board's like, all right, pastor, we're with you. Right? I'm like, awesome. I'm like, yes. And then I went home to my wife and I cried for three months. I'm like, what are we going to do? I have no money. How are we going to do this? This is insane. And so we still kept going forward. And God, God started burning in money, started doing all that. People bought into the vision. We then set up. We, now, this was in a city of 40,000. No, no band is ever coming to our city. Like, we are just not on any big band stop, okay? Like, it's not happening. So our city's like, well, we've never had a band in an auditorium before, so they had to melt the ice, they had to do all this stuff. They didn't have the power, so we had to have an electrician come in and put in all the power so that we could have a church service in here. They're like, this is crazy. We've never seen this before. Nothing like this. We spent tons of money, and we had the stage and the band and all this crazy stuff. And then it was Easter, and we're going to have this big, huge, you know, Easter egg hunt after church, and it's snowing. I'm like, how in the world, Jesus, aren't we on the same page? Don't we work together? Like, shouldn't you make the weather nice because it's Easter and I'm trying to reach people for you? What are you doing? Right? And I remember sitting there going, okay, I've spoken with faith. I've proclaimed God is going to move. God's going to move in our city. He's going to do awesome things. And our little church of 200 people have taken on an arena concept. How does this happen? And I remember Sunday morning at 5 to 10 going, there is literally my 100 volunteers and 50 more people in here. I'm dead. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, somehow, in some ways, like God was just trying to test me, and then it started to flood in, and we packed the entire arena out, and we preached Jesus to uh, 1,500 people in one service, which to you and your church is like, oh, that's nothing. To us, the 200 people are like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. This is a huge amount of our city. 
It was awesome. We had 3,000 people show up to our Easter egg hunt. 3,000. It was insane. So in one day, our little church in a city of 40,000 people had 4,500 people hear the gospel. That's 10% of our city heard about Jesus in one day. And it was so crazy that the city said, this is the best Easter egg hunt we've ever seen in the city. Why don't we just pay for it next year and we'll just cover all your expenses and we'll just do it as a citywide. Pretty awesome. But none of that would have happened if my volunteers around me used logic. Right? It wouldn't have happened. Because they would have said, Pastor, you don't have enough money. Pastor, our church is only 200 people. We're not going to pack an auditorium. It's just not going to happen. We can't take over a hockey rink. There's no chance. Pastor, there's just no way we can get enough people to pack all those eggs and do all. It's not going to It's not going to work. It's just not. Logic said this was a dumb idea. But faith said, I've heard from God. We're marching forward. And my volunteers chose to trust that. They chose to say, like Jonathan's armor bearer, yeah, we're probably going to die. But I'm with your heart and soul. Let's go for it. I wonder if this room, if we can have some volunteers who are willing to step up to the plate like that, who would be willing to assist their leaders, who, who would be self-starters, who would stand and say, you know what, I'm going to do this. We're going to move forward. We're going to make this happen. I'm going to pick stuff up. Who would be willing to listen to, to orders and follow them immediately. Who would be willing to stand behind their leader. The last point, second last point I have here is I want to say, is volunteers, key volunteers that will change the world would be leader, volunteers who protect their leaders. Because here's what happens. This is just the reality. You know this. As you rise up as a volunteer and you're doing more and more things and taking on more responsibility and God's blessing you and what you're serving in, you and your leader are going to become close. And it's really cool. But you know what happens when you become close with somebody? You see their faults. Right? Because as much as you think it, your pastor is not perfect. I'm close, but most of us, we're not really good. We have faults. We have tons of faults. I'm a broken individual who's saved by the grace of God, who God continually redeems my life, and I don't deserve it at all. I am a broken person. As you get closer to your leader, you're going to realize, hey, you know what? They have faults. They, they, they have an attitude that they shouldn't have, or they do things that they shouldn't do, or, or whatever else. And as a leader, you have an option. You can either expose that fault. I used to call it, you know, exposing the crack, but that got a little awkward. <laughs> right? You can either expose that fault or you can cover it. You have the choice. And if you cover that fault and, and you go, you know what, yeah, my leader's just a human just like me and, and he is or she has issues and she needs to be touched by God, but I'm going to serve either way. Or you can expose it and make a big deal of it. And I've seen phenomenal ministries shattered, shattered, because people wanted things their own ways and used their leaders' faults. Now, I'm not talking massive sin. There's massive sin that gets exposed. But I'm talking just, you know, life. And they used those things to take people out. In fact, we have a church in our city that right now is going through a horrible split and looking like they're going to close the doors just because of personality issues, not because of Jesus issues. Because they got hung up on their style and what they wanted rather than being hung up on who Jesus was. And what Jesus was doing. And so they attacked the leader. So as a leader, as a volunteer, a killer volunteer, is going to be passionate for God. It's going to be teachable, have a strong work ethic, who's going to walk in faith and is going to protect their leader to the best they can. And lastly, I want to close with this. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a good leader. And we're like, yeah, Jeff, that's really good. You can talk about those things if you're serving a good leader. And I'll be honest with you, I've served a lot of really good leaders. So it's easy for me to implement this stuff when I've got a leader above me who is amazing. And you're like, yeah, I want, I'll give you my life. You're awesome. Look what you're doing. This is awesome. I want to be part of this. I just can't believe I get honored. But I also have had a time in my life where I served a really bad leader, a leader who took things like passion for God, teachability, and work ethic and manipulated them to get his way out of my life, who, who literally at some point even was on the verge of spiritual abuse, if not doing it. And so I know what it's like. And all I can say to you is this. I work for the fire department in town, and I'm the chaplain for our fire department. It's one of the coolest things I get to do, because I get all the cool uniform, which my wife likes. I get all the cool toys, right? I get some of you like, that's why we have four kids, right? So um, <laughs> some of you like, huh? 
I get to play with all the cool power toys and the jaws of life. I get to do all this cool stuff, right? It's really, it's awesome being, working with the fire department. One of the coolest things in the world I get to do. And on one of the training days, I got to go in with them. And I was kind of like, you know, I don't know if you watch Chicago Fire. I'm like, dude, I got this. I'm going to go into a burning building. I've seen Chicago Fire. This is going to be awesome. Like, this is like, this is so cool. And so, like, I had to put on, I have all, I have all my own gear, my mask, all that stuff. I had to get training, got all that stuff. And we walk into a building that is on fire. I'm like, oh, I'm so jacked. This is so cool. The whole place is on fire. It's so cool. And I walk in, and so I'm walking, and what you have to do when you're walking into a building like this, you have to have, you have a partner that you're with, right? And you actually have to be in arm's reach of the partner at all times, right? Which they're telling us, I'm like, yeah, 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 okay. And so you've got this mask that's around you, you've got all this heavy equipment, and you walk into this fire building. And what hit me, I wasn't prepared for. Because on Chicago Fire, they run around without masks on, and you can see their whole face, you can see their bodies. And I walk into this room that's on fire, and it went from pure daylight to pitch black. I could barely see the end of my hand. I could barely see the end of my hand. And honestly, I'm not a claustrophobic guy. I love adventure. And all of a sudden, as I'm standing in the middle of this room, following my, my partner, he all of a sudden goes out of sight. And for a second, a moment, which felt like eternity, I was all alone. And all of a sudden, it got really scary where I'm going, it is completely pitch black. I cannot see beyond my hand. I don't know what's around me. There's fire in this building, and I'm going to die. That's what's going through my head right now. I'm like, great, my first time in a burning building, and they're going to have to call Mayday, and they're going to have to drag me out and do CPR on me. This is so embarrassing, right? And I'm scared. And all of a sudden, comes this guy who's wearing a white hat, comes walking back into my provisional, grabs my hand, says, you okay? And grabs me and walks with me. And so what I can tell you from what I learned from that experience is that to me it was so similar to Jesus. Because when we're sitting underneath a leader who's not a good leader, we can feel like we're all alone and we can feel like death is imminent and we can feel like we have nothing. We followed a guy in that we were supposed to be trusting and he left us alone in the dark. But Jesus will always reach into those moments and say, are you okay? Come follow me. And if you will place your trust in Jesus and not in man, God will never leave you alone. Let's stand all across this place. If you're comfortable, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands for a second. We're just going to pray that God would pour out his spirit upon you. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak to you. I'm so honored to have this moment. I look forward to the workshop I do next. But God, I pray right now that you would just fill these leaders with your spirit.